0: Hello everyone, this is Prince Shakur and welcome to another episode of the Creative Hour podcast. On this episode, we have another very special guest. We have Edgar Gomez. Edgar Gomez is a Florida-born writer with roots in Nicaragua and Puerto Rico, a graduate of University of California, Riverside's MFA program. He is a recipient of the 2019 Marcia McCorn Award for nonfiction. His words have appeared in Poets and Writers, Narratively, Catapult, Lithub. The Rumpus, Electric Lit, and more. His memoir, High Risk Homosexual, was called A Breath of Fresh Air by the New York Times. He lives in New York and Puerto Rico. Find him or her or them across social media at Otro Edgar Gomez. And all of these details will be in the show notes. I love this conversation with Edgar because a few months ago, I learned about their memoir. I read it in preparation for this podcast. It is so emotional and honest sort of just like really stark about its depiction of some of the fear that queer and non-binary and lgbtqia people can have while coming of age through periods of different forms of violence and so i really commend edgar gomez for having the courage to write this book and in this episode we talk about our love for goosebumps by rl stein how an unexpected moment of queer journalism made it into their memoir. We also talk about toxic masculinity going forward despite the probability of failure and fear as a queer person. And if you wish to check out any of Edgar's work, it's at edgargomez.net. And once again, please, please, please go out and buy High-Risk Homosexual, All of the details to buy that book will be in the show notes. Welcome to another episode of the Creative Hour podcast, and I am so glad to have you here. Music in this episode of the Creative Hour is by Sam Holman-Smith. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thank you for having me. I always love hearing people um, try to pronounce the McQuern Award. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right either. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's a hard one. Okay, well, I, so I usually start off, um, as I mentioned before, starting off with Younger You. And I was researching you a lot as I do every guest. And it's, I don't know, I was kind of figuring out how do I ask someone questions that wrote a memoir? And so I'm just going to start off with, what um i usually do so um even though it's in your book uh what was young edgar like um describe your your family your childhood um what was younger you like
1: oh my god don't make me cry <laughs> i feel like um i'm on rupa's drag race and i'm where rupa shows them a picture of their younger self and they're like what would you say to yeah this is it <laughs> this is my moment um i guess i would say um I was very at least until I was like 8 years old. I I grew I was born in Miami. Um and then when I turned around like 8 or 9 we moved to Orlando. My parents divorced. My dad uh, moved back to Puerto Rico and my mom took us to Orlando. Um but before then I was like very outgoing, charismatic. <laughs> um I was uh I basically had no like inhibitions cuz I was like a child, right? Um, and so I really liked to, you know, walk around the house in a giant T-shirt um, and pretend it was a dress mm. um, and like lip sync to like Britney Spears and stuff. A um, towel for the hair. Oh, 100%. Um, I was also very weird. Um, because this was like the pre, pre-internet pre era. So you kind of just had to like uh, find things to do. And in Miami, we like raised chickens. So I would always be outside playing with my chickens. And we had a giant mango tree with an iguana. And so I would hang out with my iguana. I would also like dissect lizards a lot. Um, and I, would, I, was a very, I was a grandma's boy. So I would always be with my grandma, collecting cans in the neighborhood <laughs> um, and going to the flea market, her favorite place. Um, I say I was really like fun and outgoing because then from there i just became very very quiet and shy and reserved mm. it, it coincides when I started realizing that I was queer and um, basically I was like 100% sure that nobody would accept me definitely not in my family and so I started really I don't know becoming like a hermit person where I just I, I really like didn't speak a lot Um, And I was just everything made me nervous because I was always like, oh, my God, if you do um, cross your leg, everybody's going to know you're gay and then they're going to throw you off. If you do um, bug lands on you and you like squeal, um, that's everybody's going to clock you. Like there are all these things. And I was like, it's easier for me to just like not do anything. And so I went from like one end of the spectrum to the other.
0: And at what age did that kind of code switching internally kind of start for you?
1: Um, I would probably say like around eight or nine, even though I didn't necessarily, even though I was, I wasn't like conscious about being gay. It was more like this, I like this fear that I had in the back of my mind, and I knew that there was something weird about me. Um, but I think I was in like such extreme denial that I would have never like been like, oh, you are gay, and that's what you have to hide right now.
0: Yeah, you're like, oh, I just like these. I just like pink. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was a
1: thing. This is all just like fresh in my mind because I'm literally writing about it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a kid, it was like easier to get away with those things because it was like, oh, it was cute. It was adorable. Oh, my God. He's lip syncing the Brady Spears. Huh? Right. Yeah. And then I like started getting older people realize, okay, this is like, isn't as cute as it used to be. Yeah. This is like in a leading somewhere. So, and it's yeah.
0: interesting when you describe it that way. Cause I, I guess I also think about it in terms of like, when you're a kid, people kind of allow you to be more of like a character. You get to inhabit different identities or qualities. Cause you're, you're, I don't know, in, in some ways you're expected to be imaginative, but then you get older and it's like, what role do you fulfill in this family or this environment?
1: And it was, I don't know, it was sad. <laughs> I was like, I want to. And the other thing is that this is what really like, like made me really resentful. Um, it's that because I went from like, like, that outgoing person to like this really shy, nervous person, um, I, I basically became boring. <laughs> um, and I felt like everybody, like not just in my family, but like even like at school and stuff, they were all like, oh, my God. And in my mind, I was like, well, I could not be boring um the reason I'm boring is because of all of y'all right yeah, like I'm being yeah. boring to like survive and so I started getting really really angry and I was like it became it started off with me being like okay I'm not gonna talk a lot to hide my queerness and then in my mind like this weird thing happened where I was like mm, you know what I I'm like so mad at everybody I know I have like this Um, amazing personality inside and i'm just gonna withhold it from y'all as like punishment for being homophobic um or even for me thinking that you might be homophobic um and so i guess that was something that was sort of like my way of turning it around um and being like no you're great you're just withholding your greatness from everybody
0: yeah like getting revenge in a way
1: yeah, yeah, it was like my little revenge, but it was only hurting me. So, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I I even relate to that my adult life. So I don't know. If it's kind of like, oh wow. Um, So I guess um, in in terms of like all of that and like w- how you were kind of navigating yourself, um, when or how did reading and writing enter your life?
1: Um, I think because I had such a like kind of chaotic upbringing where I moved around a lot. Um, I started a bunch of different schools. Um, There was, you know, my parents' separation, um, my grandma leaving, blah, blah, blah. I really turned to books as sort of this, like, stable place where, for example, I could be reading Harry Potter, whether I was in, you know, Miami, or, you know, my mom decided to move us to Orlando, or she decided to just send me back to Miami. Like, I could be carrying the same book around, and it was like, I was following, like, one single story. So it, it, like, gave me that sort of um, sense of stability. And then also... Um, because we didn't have like a ton of money and we weren't necessarily like traveling or like doing stuff that would like show me the world. Um, And, you know, there are a lot of times that we didn't have cable or anything like that. Literature was like this place that I could go to that like really expanded like my world of possibilities um, and what was out there. Um, And so, yeah, I turned to books both for stability and to just like see what other people were doing. And also because um, I was just so confused. I mean, everything that I described earlier is so complicated (laughs) and like so like messy that I was like, I have to turn to books to see how other people are navigating. I guess with the hope that like I wasn't alone in like this like feeling like everything was just so insane (laughs) all the time.
0: Do you remember what the first novel was that you really loved or you had a like a sense of attachment to?
1: There were a few. I would say. There was one, okay, there was a Goosebumps series that I loved, Um, Those the Choose Your Own Adventure book.
0: Oh, okay. I was going to be like, which one, which one? Because I was a part of the book club.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) I was a part of the book club that like stole whatever copies were in the library. (laughs) Uh, um, So I would say, yeah. Goosebumps. There was this one series where it was like a bunch of teenagers were on a plane and it crashed on an island, and they had to survive. I don't remember the name of Flight Twenty
0: Nine Down. It a... might have been what was like an actor. Oh, okay. I think. Okay, I know there was a TV show called Flight Twenty Nine Down, and I think it was based off of books. But I think I also know what you might be talking <laughs> about. I don't know. Yeah. And then I would say my
1: like number one like my god tier would be. um this book series called was called the Royal Diaries, Um and it was a set of fictional diaries um from princesses all over the world. Anastasia, Theopatra, I don't know some Russian ones. Anastasia might be Russian, I don't know. Um but it was it was basically like memoirs um but they were fictional and they were written by princesses and wow. it wasn't the princess diaries. and so that was like my first taste of like memoir even though they were like you know princesses and they were fake I was just really hooked because of specific because of the point of view that like I um it just felt like I was reading somebody's diary or like they were telling me about their lives and I like became friends with these princesses
0: (laughs) yeah yeah and it is interesting because I didn't read many things that were I mean, I guess I read a few books when I was younger that were in diary form and they always reached me more than others. I mean, also including Diary of Anne Frank, which is a real diary, but um, I definitely, yeah, I haven't heard of the the one that you're talking about, but I, I remember reading Dear Mr. Henshaw. Do you remember that book at all?
1: No. Oh my God. It,
0: was, it was about a boy who loved this author while his parents, he, he loved this author's books while his parents were divorcing and he wrote a letter to this author like every week and it was them exchanging these letters and the author kind of helping him process his family's divorce oh my god i love that book. Did you ever read
1: like when you were a kid stuff that was like way outside of your age range like stuff you should not have been reading?
0: I i never chose it for myself but my mother was definitely a like we're poor you like reading it's probably going to help you get into college so she would like take me to the library and sometimes she would just buy me books that were like I don't know, I think like in CVS, and I remember when I was 12, she had me read this book called, I think it was A Long Way Gone, and it was a memoir about an African child soldier. And it was extremely graphic, but I remember reading it when I was 12. and I mean, it wasn't overwhelming in a way, like I wasn't traumatized because I also, I don't know, I saw it as a reality, which I think was kind of the nice thing. How old were you? I was 12. Okay.
1: I feel like around that age,
0: like... You're watching like movies
1: and like listening to music that is like just as graphic, right? Um or you're it's just kind of like around you. Um but I guess with books it becomes like a lot more intimate cuz you're really in that moment.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. And and I remember listening to a podcast at least like a few months ago that said children tend to read like past a certain age like a few years above their age range. So if you're 12, you're reading stuff for 15-year-olds. If you're 15, you're reading stuff that Like 19 year olds might read. So it kind of makes sense in that way, because I'm sure like a lot of the stuff I was reading when I was 10 wasn't suited for a 10 year old. I just can't really, I don't know, I don't think I really read in terms of age range as much as I do now, I guess. So that's also maybe a part of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think similarly, I would just read what was around me, you know, my mom's books, my brother's books, like my brother was really into Dan Brown. <laughs> and so I was like obsessed with like the Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons and all of those like weird, like adulty books when I was like in middle school reading like, you know, Angels and Demons. <laughs> um, but it, it, I think when you're when you're younger, it just feels like very adult, it, like to be reading something that you kind of shouldn't be reading, right? And it's easier to have access to those things because like like you can't necessarily go to the movies if they're like on your own. Right. Because they're like if they're like rated R, if you have to be like a certain age. But a book, you can kind of just like take that and like be, you know, have it be did, your little.
0: Did, did you read like a lot of queer literature when you were a teenager? Do you remember much of reading much of that?
1: No, absolutely. I don't know. I wouldn't have even known where to like find that queer literature i think one time actually in high school i did try to read a gay book um i tried to read the picture of dorian
0: gray um, oh. okay okay
1: and so i was like i went looking for it in the library and we only had the abridged version so it was like 99 pictures i know my school is broke
0: Ninety nine percent pictures
1: and I was like, what, what is this shit? And I just felt like, I don't know, I was being disrespected.
0: <laughs> so I was like, you know um, what? I'm not going to read this. They didn't want you to know. They didn't want you to know. <laughs> Went over the earlier years. Um, I definitely want to dive into your book. I have all these other questions, but just as someone whose book is coming out later this year, I just want to know, how do you feel? How has the process been so far? Have the interviews been good? Have they been weird? Is it... Is it, is talking about it a lot more or less or different than you expected?
1: <laughs> First of all, congratulations. Uh, I can't wait to read it. Uh, but, but I would say, yeah, it's kind of like all over the place. Uh, but I don't, I, I'm like, is, I feel like I'm existing in like everything that's happening is like too, like I would have never really predicted it. Um, and that's not to say I was like insecure about my writing abilities. I I guess I really didn't know what to expect. Just the fact that it's out there, that people are, you know, reading it, and it's getting, like, reviewed, and people are, like, emailing me. It just all feels super, super surreal, while at the same time, it's, like, what I wanted, right? It's, like, what I hoped for.
0: Yeah. Um, And, And I guess this isn't even a question I had written down, but I've also thought about this a lot, like, writing a memoir. Is it weird to be someone accessible on the internet while also putting out this long form narrative of your life? Like, do you feel like, I don't know, is is there like a conflation in how people are interacting with you more now? Because maybe they like know you through Twitter or Instagram or whatever, and then they have this like book. I, I guess I just wonder what your thoughts are on that. <laughs> I think, I, I
1: don't know. I just have like a lot of chaotic thoughts <laughs> about, you know, my book being out in the world. I would say it, it, it's like, it's on one hand, I wish I could just like everybody that I meet, not everybody that I meet, but like let's say friends and stuff like that. Because I'm such a private person that doesn't necessarily like to share a lot. Um, and I did share a lot in my book. I kind of just want to be like, here, take this book. This is all you need to know. Now don't ask me any follow ups, you yeah. know? um kind of just like a little fact or something <laughs> um, and I'm like and I'll do the same for everybody else so like we're all it's all even um <clears throat> but yeah it feels it feels weird because I guess people do ask me like very personal questions or another thing that will happen is like I've gotten and it's and it's good I've gotten people like write to me and like tell me like that my story resonated with them and then they'll tell me things about their lives um and it's just like, I want to give everybody like a good amount of attention and to show that I really appreciate that. While at the same time, I'm like, how do I navigate like kind of taking on other people's like trauma?
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's like, is- does writing a book mean that you want to or can or have the capacity to give people life advice?
1: Oh, exactly. Right. <laughs> um, and I made it and it's funny because like I made it very like. I straight up say in my book, I was like, this is not a any kind of manual. This is not a how-to guide. Um, this is just like me talking about my life and sort of like trying to broaden um, the the canon or whatever. Um, <clears throat> and a lot of people have been like, oh my God, th- you should read this. Like, this is such a great how-to guide. This is a manual. And oh they will literally use I was like, no, this is not that.
0: I mean, that's funny though, because researching like just like researching other interviews and then reading this book and i guess also like i I, it's a kind of tied to a question i have later on about like tropes or like cliches and queer memoir but i think what i enjoyed about your book was the messiness was the i don't know like i don't know if you have heard of that ocean beyond quote where he says like being queer means you like fail forward and i feel like when, when I was reading your book, what was really beautiful about it is that, and I think I heard like another interviewer say this about you. It's just like, all of these things are like in your way, but somehow, or for whatever reason, you're still moving forward. And of course that's like explained and explored in the book, but I think even just, I don't know, it's like someone saying that it's a how to guide. I don't know. It's kind of just interesting. Cause it's like, this is like, like to your point, it's one person's experience.
1: Right. And it is mostly like a series of like me failing at things. <laughs> so for it to be a how-to guide, it should be like the opposite of a how-to guide. It's like a how not to do this.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um and and so I guess one thing I wanted to start off with was um kind of breaking down the process for you of writing this. Um so I guess my first question is how did you kind of tackle Um, chronology of events that you explored in the book? Um, Did you explore your younger years first? Did you know kind of the boundaries of the book? Um, Were there certain things that you pulled out later on through the process? I guess just kind of take us through like how you mapped it out and
1: Yeah, well that's such a good question. Um, I've never gotten that. Okay, so I would say I definitely started with the earlier um, years of my life and the way that i i the way that i started writing the book um i was an undergrad um i was majoring in tv production and um i sort of ended up quitting tv production i just, i still graduated with a degree in tv production but i double ma- i ended up like tacking another major just because i felt like i was never going to make it in tv production um i went to school in orlando and it felt like everybody had connections to like Universal Studios and to Disney, and like they all had like their fancy cameras. And I was just like, I'm never gonna succeed here, um, but I still want to um, be able to tell stories, um, which is what drew me to TV production. And so I was like, okay, writing is a free thing that I could do that I don't necessarily like need. You know, I, I have like fewer people that I'm you know accountable to. Um, whereas like, if I'm writing a screenplay, I have to, you know, think about like budgets and like,
0: yeah, um, yeah. My, my best friend is a, like a filmmaker and documentarian and I'm like, I can just write it.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I'm somebody, I don't really like to be told what to do. Um, and I'm very like, uh, possessive <laughs> over my art and like very like micromanagey, And so to like, to invite a bunch of other people into like the creation aspect, just like. That really turned me off. Um, and when I was in TV production, it was like a lot of group stuff. And I was like, you know what, I'd rather just do this on my own. And I think another element was that TV production was very straight. And so it was like, I was in groups with a bunch of straight people. And I was like, what y'all want to do sucks. Like, yeah, I didn't say yeah. that, but I, was like, I don't want to do that. Um, and in creative writing, I got to basically do whatever I wanted. <clears throat> and so I took this creative nonfiction class. And, um, the professor was like, I mean, you've been in creative nonfiction classes, obviously they're like, all right, next week, who's going to go for a workshop. Right. Um, and so I felt like I was like, okay, I have to write something and it has to be nonfiction. Um, so I like basically, you know, from there I was like, okay, I have to do something. Um, and I remember at the time I really wanted to go to this bath house in Orlando called club Orlando, but I'd always been too, um, afraid to go, um, because I had a lot of like shame and at the time I mean still today there was just a lot of stigma about the type of person that goes to a bathhouse um like they're a sketchy person you know um and so I was like okay how do I go to this bathhouse because I really wanted to go but like how do I like find an like an excuse to go and this workshop was kind of that I was like okay I'm gonna go and I'm gonna write about it
0: So you were doing queer journalism.
1: That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And um, that chapter made it into the book. It's called Boys Club. And um,
0: I think I read somewhere that you almost named the book, that title as well.
1: Yeah. and I mean, mean, in that chapter, I have a very like journalistic voice um, because that's how I turned it into the workshop. And so I sort of worked it into the story. Um, where I was like I'm here to like break this case wide open to like see you who comes here blah 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 but in reality it was just like I want to be there yeah yeah <laughs> um and so yeah I wrote that story um and I was I was nervous because I was like I'm gonna turn this in and like how are people gonna look at me how are people gonna workshop gonna like act? um and uh, like amazingly everybody was like really like supportive I was like oh my god this is so cool this is great and I was like, okay, maybe I can do this thing. Maybe I do have like a talent. So I submitted the story to um, a website and it got published. And from there, I was like, okay, you, you should keep doing this thing. Yeah, I, I get that. and that's the chapter that comes earlier on in the book. Um, and then from there, I started writing about just like being a kid. Um, and that's where the chapter about um, going to Nicaragua and my uncle's cockfighting ring. Um, and that's when I started that. Um, because at that point I hadn't I didn't know what like what experiences of mine like would matter enough to write about
0: yeah yeah Um,
1: I didn't really know what I was doing I was kind of just writing randomly Um, and obviously I had like the material of my life so I just I just went into the past and like try to like find things and then I went into grad school thinking it was just going to be a collection of random gay essays you know the cockfighting ring the bathhouse um, I had one about donating blood um, and how I fainted and how to go to the hospital, the whole thing. And so I was like, this is going to be an essay collection. Throughout grad school, it was like really um, pushed upon me that I needed like a narrative arc, that I had to find okay. a way to put all the other all essays linked together. And so in the process of doing that, I started dropping some essays and I started thinking of what that arc could be. And because I already had that opening chapter of um, me and my uncle's cockfighting ring and you know the machismo and the deep shame that I felt. I was like, what's the opposite of shame? What is the trajectory that you're taking? Um, so it's going to be from shame to pride. And so then I started thinking, what are some of the like experiences in your life um, that would fit into that um, narrative that you're trying to tell?
0: I don't know. I feel like when I hear people talk about memoir a lot, I don't know. I mean, when I got into writing mine, it was just like, there was so much where I was like, do I start from before I was born or after? And so I feel like I just wanted to ask that because I feel like it's honestly really helpful for people to be like, oh, it just didn't come fully formed or you stumbled into different parts of it along the way.
1: Yeah, it was definitely like something that I just had to figure out as I was doing it. There was a big learning curve. And I also did wrestle with the fact that I was like, do I want to start before I was born too? Yeah. Um, because that I know that my story is impacted a lot by my family story. Um, Like the fact that my uncles were sent to Cuba when they were teenagers to learn how to dismantle bombs. Like that obviously impacted the kind of men that they became. Um, And then that impacted how they treated other boys in their lives. And so I was like, oh, I have to like, I have to figure out a way to put all this in here. But then it's like a lot of history. And I was like, oh, what are people going to pay attention to? What are people going to expect from this book? Um, Am I, is it, like, is it my job to teach everybody about Nicaraguan history? How can I like do it as seamlessly as possible? It was just like a lot to like be balancing. And eventually I was like, you just have to tell your story and you have to be the focus the focus of your memoir, which sounds like such a like a duh thing. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, it was really it was really hard to navigate as much as I could throughout the book. I tried to like reach out
0: to um, I and, and I guess this kind of goes into my next question, which is um. I guess I'm really curious about where there's certain moments in the writing where you had to actively kind of challenge yourself to push farther. And uh, are there parts of this memoir where you wrote it and you thought, I've never written anything like that before? And this is kind of to the heart of what I've been trying to say for a long time.
1: Yeah, I mean... The reason that I am so drawn to creative nonfiction, to memoir writing in general, is because a lot, not all of them, but a lot of the stories that I write about, um, the seed of the story is like a memory that haunts me. Something like wild that happened that I like think about all the time, or like questions that I have about, you know, family, relationships, myself, Um, and... Like getting to sit down with whatever the questions are, whatever the memory is, and just really, really interrogate it for hours and hours. Sometimes for we- like right now, I've been working on an essay for three months, and I finally feel like I'm getting to this like discovery. And though the work is really, really hard, um, once you get to that discovery, it feels like such a such a relief because I can finally like let go of the thing or i finally have my answer even if it's not like a great answer
0: mm, yeah
1: um, and so yeah constantly throughout the book um i was having discoveries I, w- I would like write something and i'd be like oh my god is that really wow that's how <laughs> that what about? happened <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's more like that's how you feel about the thing this whole time that you haven't like you haven't even admitted to yourself but now you've admitted it um and it, it it's like it's crazy <laughs> um but it's it's amazing and it makes it worth it um because a lot of times I'll be like what are you like the idea of memoir writing is like so it can be very very like strange to me especially um when the pandemic started and I was like really really working on my memoir <clears throat> I was like the world is ending and you are sitting here on your laptop instead of living your life you're like writing about your life like why like why aren't you out there living <laughs> um yeah it, it just felt it was so weird but then like understanding that through that interrogation through that self interrogation my life has gotten a lot richer I can see, okay, this is why you do it. Though it might seem like a waste of time, um, you're actually gaining a lot. um, Well, can you
0: you talk about that a little bit more, like the process of writing about your life, giving like something back to you?
1: Sure. I mean, the example that I could off the top of my head is my family um, and specifically my mom and my brother. Um, I think I have, or I had at least, um, all of these like traumatic moments. that specifically related to my queerness. Um, and it, I could, it would have been very easy for me, I think, to be like, oh my God, they traumatized me. You know, fuck these relationships. I'm never going to see them again. Um, but there was like this pull um, inside of me that I was like, I can't let go of these relationships. This is my mom. This is my brother. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my family is very communal too. Like, we're... Like my my family is like very close. We're very like no new friends. Um, like I don't think most of my like aunts and like yeah. my mom. I don't think that they have. I think that I feel friends like friends. I, don't, it's,
0: I feel like it's also really an immigrant family thing because I'm like my mom doesn't have any other friends other than church.
1: Other than <laughs> church, and sometimes I'm like, mom, you should go to church
0: and get some. Lunch. Yeah, and it's like we know these people are fun, so I'm like, y'all yeah. should out here. Yeah.
1: So yeah, I was like, I was very reluctant to let my family go? Because that just seems like crazy to me. Um, and so I really had to sit down and interrogate all of those moments of, I guess you could call them trauma, but there was also moments of joy. <clears throat> um, and really ask, here, here was the thing that really like um, changed the game for me. In graduate school, I took this class um, with a professor who writes both fiction and nonfiction. And he was talking about how when he writes fiction, and he also does this for nonfiction, um, he asked four questions, which are, who's the main character? Super easy, right? When it's memoir to you, usually. Um, what do they want? Uh, what is getting in the way of the want? And what are the stakes? What are the consequences, right? Um, and that's like something that they used to do to fiction and now they do to their nonfiction. And so when I was sitting down and writing the story of my life, I had to ask myself those things, right? Sure. Um, to make like a compelling narrative, <clears throat> But I also had to ask those questions about the people who, you know, I, let's say, behaved badly. So let's say my mom. Um, what i realized is that, you know, nobody thinks that they are the villain of their story. Right. Everybody thinks that they're doing the right thing, um, even when it's like objectively they're doing a bad thing or it's like clear to everybody else. I was like, OK, my mom did these bad things, even though she's done a lot of great things. She did these, you know, three bad things. And I had to ask myself, okay, what did she want? What, what, like, what were her motivations for doing whatever it is she did? What were the stakes for her? And through that, I came to a lot of discoveries. Um, The biggest one being my mom is a woman who immigrated to the U.S. in the 80s during the height of the AIDS epidemic. She didn't know any queer people in Nicaragua where it was illegal to be gay until the mid-2000s. So when I told her that I was gay, she was like, oh, my son is going to die. Like, that was it for her. And though that doesn't excuse some of the actions that she took, it does add context to it that helps me understand her more and has helped me, I think, or helped us heal our relationship because I know that she wasn't acting just out of hatred. She was actually coming at it from a place of love. Um and that really, really um changed everything. Because <laughs> I and specifically what it changed too was um realizing that people that a lot of people are acting from a place of love or have motivations um takes away a lot of the chaos from the world. Because otherwise it was like she was just acting out of nothing, out of yeah, just yeah. being hateful. No, it's like it came from somewhere. Um, Yeah. So that's an example of how, you know, sitting with this trauma helped me reach a new place of understanding and ultimately um, heal my relationship with my mom.
0: Honestly, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to bring up, I don't know, how you portray and show your and your mother's relationship in this book. I don't know. Maybe it's also because I'm also, I feel like I read this night. there was just so much in it where I was like, damn, other people went through some shit like this too. And of course people have, but it was just beautiful to read. And so, and I, and I, I was reading your book and I kept thinking about this in my life as well. Just like the sort of gray area in a relationship between a mother and a queer child who's presumed to be a guy. Um, I don't know. I think a lot about with my mother, how like me and my older brother are gay. And I think about how in our dynamic, like my mother does find a certain sense of safety in having queer kids who are (laughs) queer, queer men who are, are her children. And I guess when I was reading your book, I really felt a lot of that push and pull, like the kind of, I love you and I love that you are soft in the way that you are, but I also know that the world will try to hurt you and things don't end well for people like you. And so I guess, I don't know, I just really love to understand like how you navigated that in writing this and like what it feels like to put that down on the page. I would say, I think that was
1: one of the hardest relationships um, for me to write about, Um, especially because... When I was finished with the book, we were still in a kind of grayish area in our relationship. Things had gotten better, but they weren't, like, perfect. Um, For example, I hadn't ever talked to her, like, about having a boyfriend or anything like that. Um, I love what you said about how, like there are some kind of
0: like benefits um yeah because i'm like for me my brother i'm like we could be in prison we could be exactly. i don't know we could have gotten t- 20 people pregnant
1: <laughs> no and that's literally what i was gonna say um and i think i kind of like hint at that in on um, this chapter called cool mom where like i really i talk to my mom on the phone pretty often and i'm constantly like reminding her um i'm like listen i i'm perfect like compared to like some of my cousins yeah. like i could be you know selling you know radios out of my trunk at the gas station um i could be i i, and I always think this like if i were straight i would definitely have like I've, done, I've done yeah yeah um uh, oh so, like you avoided so much um and then i'm also pretty like independent compared to some other people in my family because like i said um and that's not necessarily like it's bad to be dependent because like our family is just very communal, but I'm somebody that has like never really I've never asked my mom for like rent or anything like that. But I've i become very, very independent because of my queerness, um, because I lived through a period of my life where I was like, oh, I don't I can't depend on these people for anything. Um, in fact, I the one thing that I can depend on is that if they know that I'm gay, they're going to like throw me out. Right. Um, and so I sort of had to learn how to stand on my own two feet. And that's something that's I've taken into my adulthood that not necessarily every straight person gets to learn. Yeah, but it was, it was tough just because um in my dream, I could like I would I want to be able to write about my mom and only write great things, right? Only say, oh, this is all she sacrificed for me. This is she's so beautiful, she's um, you know, so funny. Um, she's a great dance. I like I wish I could do all that. But You know, you need levels to everybody and everybody like nobody is just like perfect either. And so in the process of rendering her as like a human being, I have to talk about, you know, some some of her flaws, I guess. And the way that my family is, specifically my mom. And I think a lot of Latinx moms, a lot of immigrant moms are just very like and I understand it. It's very like they sacrifice so much that for you to like have like even but even even if it's like a valid criticism, they're like, "Bitch, I came here on my own, learned a whole new language. Yeah. Like I've been supporting you my whole life. Like how dare you like criticize anything?" And then I think they they very like at least my mom has like short term memory loss. Where like she'll do something and I'll bring it up like a couple of days later and she'll be like, "No, nope, that didn't happen. What are you talking about?" Um, and so I knew that when I was like writing things that she's done, that if she read the book, she's gonna she's just gonna be like, "No, nope, that didn't happen." Even if I can like give her the evidence, she'd be like, no, it didn't happen, like, no, no. And so it was like really, really, <laughs> really difficult um, and something that I'm still kind of trying to navigate. But I think lately she's reached a point where she is a little bit more willing to discuss things that happened in the past. And I think it's because I am so um, independent I can set the i set guess, the boundaries in of, a boundaries, way sure of what our relationship is gonna look like, and so I'm like, you can treat me badly, but I'm just not gonna be there um if you if this is how the your behavior continues, and I think that she's like kind of got like a wake up call right, um where she's like, I have to be a little bit more um receptive to what my son has to say, i guess
0: yeah and and I feel like that is what I think is like beautiful in your book. And this is maybe another question, but when I was researching memoir a lot, like a few years ago, I read a lot of queer memoirs and I feel like what really bothered me was when people would come out and then it would kind of gloss over the kind of gray area of it all. Because when I went to college, I don't know, I went from growing up in a predominantly black city to going to a predominantly white college. And that was my first time meeting a lot of white queer people or LGBTQIA people. There was a difference in how we related to coming out, like racially, on like a, I don't know, coming from an immigrant family level. I appreciate when people talk through exactly to what you kind of said earlier, which is like there's pain involved in this love and in what this family is and is capable of. But there's also good things. And I want to hold those two things at the same time and try to find some. I don't know, like another chapter. And I feel like that to me, I think I like that it gets better campaign and all the critiques of that. And I feel like what you present in this book is like, to me, it's like something that's a bit more honest because I I, I can think about like when I was coming out, I was one of those teenagers where I was like, I'm going to tell my parents before I'm 18, because I can't have this shit hanging over my head the rest of my life. But I didn't really grapple with like, what happens if it's not that they reject you or they totally accept you. Like what is the in between and how do you live with yourself and them through the process
1: that is so true the because the stakes can feel like what if they kick me out what if they disown me and that happened to some of my friends like of my generation yeah. so it is still it's still a thing that is happening um but like most of the time it's not going to get that bad they're probably not going to kick you out it's just going to be incredibly uncomfortable um and, yeah, I didn't see a lot of, like, representation of, like, that in-between a- area. I feel like a lot of times in, like, TV shows, it was, like, even if it was bad, character put on, like, an air of confidence and walked out and, like, found, like, a community and, like, everything was kind of better. Um, I'm thinking of, like, queer as folk. Like, yeah. he, he like, leaves to go with his, like, 30-year-old boyfriend. <laughs> um, or, I don't know, a lot of, a lot of media was like that. Um, and I think it was like, maybe it was like a counter to like, back then, maybe there was only suffering. And so they were like, okay, we have to like lean into like something else. It's mm-hmm. not going to be necessarily joy yet. But maybe if we have the characters leave, they can like, it won't be as like traumatizing yeah, to yeah. the years, right? But it wasn't necessarily useful to have that either. Um, because when I was in that like in-between period, I felt very alone. And I had people in my life who seemed to have like queer people who seem to have like great relationships with their family and I was like how do you do that like that's I can't ever imagine that happening to me and even like within the context of like coming out to my mom one thing that I didn't even think was possible and it was so insane and this is one of those memories that I was like haunted me (laughs) and I was like I have to somehow write about this it's the fact that I came out to my mom at Saks Fifth Avenue um, because I was like, we're around average white ladies, she's not gonna make a scene here, <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: and she didn't. Um, and like everything was like kind of okay. We went home, she cried on the phone with my aunt, and I heard through like the wall, but it was like manageable. And I was like, okay, everything's gonna be I'm
0: like, okay, this is <laughs> it, like we can handle it.
1: I know, and then like, I was like, okay, I have a cool mom, wow, I like, I really did not, I was shook. And then like a couple of weeks later, she asked me if I was gay. And I was like, I had already come out. <laughs> um, and so that, that was one of those things where I was like, does this happen to other people? The, like the idea that I had come out of the closet to her and then like two weeks later, however long it was, she asked me if I was gay. I was like, what is going on? I, I was going to ask you about that since you have a queer older brother. Did he, so he, did he come out before you?
0: I came out to my mother because she read my journal So it wasn't even my choice. And then my brother came out maybe like four or five months later. But it was also interesting because I told my brother that I was gay and he didn't care. But I also knew that he was gay, but he still (laughs) hadn't told me yet until he got kicked out of the military. Um, And so, yeah, it is interesting because me and my brother have handled it very differently, like very differently.
1: Um, And that goes to show you that there isn't like one specific experience, even for um two people growing up in this under the same roof, your trajectories look like completely different, right?
0: So another question uh, is you you kind of unpacked this in another interview, but in an e- interviews, e-news interview, you talked about the distinction between male pride and queer pride. And I know you kind of spoke earlier to kind of the arc of this book being kind of related to that, as well as why you choose to talk about Pulse and Omar Metten. Um, one thing that I'm interested in as uh, like LGBTQI people is how we write ourselves out of violence of the patriarchy, homophobia, racism, xenophobia. So can you kind of just talk about the importance of unpacking these things alongside each other? Like, I know those are a lot of different things, but I guess I just wonder, especially with the queer pride and male pride thing, putting them alongside each other. Were there certain things that were illuminated in the process that were interesting to you?
1: Yeah, Um I think it's complicated because as somebody socialized as a man and I think just like men in general, but specifically in Latinx communities where there's just a lot of machismo, although I will say machismo is just like, you know, toxic masculinity with a Spanish accent. And it's like in every culture, (laughs) Um, Latinx people did not invent Mm -hmm. uh, toxic masculinity, but there's sort of a like you're born. And immediately you're just like a miracle. You are like held at a pedestal. Um, You can do no wrong. And this is how like the culture at large really treats treats men. And so there's just like a level of pride that comes with just being born a man. And I mean, the introduction to my book, I literally talk about this document that my um, parents were handed right after I was birth um, called What is a Boy? And it's just like, a long, basically like a poem about how great men are and how Mm -hmm. we can't do anything wrong. It's also kind of creepy because there's lines like, you know, you might want to lock them out of your room, but you can't lock them out of your heart. Yeah. There's a lot to (laughs) unpack there. So yeah, I, I, I think I was born with like a certain amount of pride and like raised to be proud of being a man. And that pride comes at a cost because it's like, You can be proud as long as you are not this one thing, which is gay. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. And so I was born with a lot of pride, but equally just as much amount of shame because it was always two sides of the same coin. And so as I was coming up and, you know, felt very afraid of my queerness, felt very ashamed of it, I had to find pride in it. But as I gained pride in my queerness, I sort of like lost pride in being a man. Like basically everybody who fucked with me before turned their backs on me for being queer. Yeah, it was like a, it was a very complicated thing to navigate. And I guess the discovery for me was like how as, as I gained this one pride, I lost this other pride. And then I constantly had to like negotiate what my, I guess, what my goals are, what my desires are and why I like what I like, and how I've been conditioned to like certain things. Because even as I, even after I had come out of the closet, I was like dating like really tough dudes, very like, you know, straight passing dudes, basically prizing masculinity, which is the thing that I was like trying to shrug off.
0: Right? Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, and it was, it was really, um, it was a really weird thing to go through. But ultimately, I guess I with that, I came to like the discovery that like, the reason I was attracted to masculine dudes was not necessarily that I was attracted to masculinity, but that I was attracted to safety. Mm. Um, And so being able to pinpoint, oh, you're attracted to this type of person, the violence of being queer pushed you Mm. uh, to this.
0: Now you can start working. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to hear you say that because I don't know, I'm kind of writing an essay now about like me and my father figures because I had a biological father and a stepfather. And it's weird because what I'm kind of trying to write towards is what does it mean to be queer and to also long for these father figures or these paternal figures and not necessarily saying that that necessarily leads to like who or how we're attracted to people. But I guess I was just also thinking about with male pride and queer pride, like they both any gender has a relationship to violence. But it is just interesting that they both still do have these relationships to violence, but it's in very different ways. And it's like one side is always trying to reach for something in the other for whatever reason. There is so much in this book, like the of course like the scene where your, I think it's your uncle tries to have you sleep with that woman when you're younger. It's even in that like how like compulsive heteronormativity like you'll be walking down the street and a random dude will just be like oh that bitch over there was fine or how straight people try to force <laughs> sex onto queer people when they can kind of sense it or see it when they're younger and, it, and to me it's just it's it's a process that I think needs to be written about so much more because it really is it's wild it's wild
1: it's kind of creepy. it is creepy uh I feel like when I was like around maybe 12 I was also really trying to prove that I was straight and flirt with girls and the way like in retrospect that I think like you thought that was how you flirt with a girl <laughs> like this is so psychotic like I remember this is the probably the most embarrassing thing and it's funny because the girl that I picked like oh my god duh she ended up being a lesbian oh, okay. I'm like oh my god that's part of the like- family <laughs> <laughs> and I remember um <laughs> I like sat at her table at lunch and this was back in the days um, where you would like print out lyrics mm. um, of songs. if you want to know the words? Um, and I printed out the lyrics to Ludacris's I've Got Hoes." Oh, my gosh. And I just sat next to her and I started reciting <laughs> like, a, like a poem. And she was like, OK, we became great friends because <laughs> I think she was like, oh, my God, this kid is like, off just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> How
0: this just is. like there's something is. off is. here, but I like it. <laughs>
1: but what's sad is that I was like I was conditioned to think that this is what women would like yeah. and I could easily see how that could lead like if that had been like enabled and and I hadn't been gay and she hadn't been a lesbian and maybe it had worked I could see me growing up into being the kind of person who you know screams hey mommy or whatever <laughs> to like some random girl walking by right
0: yeah. I even think about like when I was in and maybe it's also just being black and over-sexualized, but I even think when I went to the Philippines in 2017, like I couch surfed a lot and I had a friend there. He was my couch surfing host. He tried to set me up with his neighbor because I didn't, I wasn't going there to like out myself, but it was like every day for a whole week, he'd be like, we're going back to the apartment. I can set up a room for you. And I'm like, I only date black women. And that, that, that's, that's what I had to say in order to get them to leave me alone. Oh.
1: Oh, <laughs> it was the
0: neighborhood hot, though. <laughs> well, no, it, no, I mean, it, yeah, I, no, no. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I think I just have a few more questions. And I guess this is kind of like a bigger question in terms of this book. And maybe it's kind of challenging in a way, because I know you said earlier, like, this is my experience um, for other young queer trans, gender non-conforming people out there that are going to find this book, what kind of mentorship do you hope it offers to them?
1: Um, so yeah, I'm really, it's it's hard for me because I think I'm very hesitant to like generalize when it comes to like queer stories. I mean, part of the reason that I'm writing, that, that like writing like my memoir felt urgent was because it only seemed like there were like a few like certain types of, Of queer stories out there Mm -hmm. and I was really trying to expand that right and I think that there's still a long way to go in terms of like expanding this queer canon or what it means to be LGBTQIA in general so I did I don't know if I have any like very very specific lessons that I wanted to leave anybody with but I guess I did want I might want people to leave with is the idea that um I mean fear Is super present in my book, I feel, both from like the beginning to the end. Um, In the beginning, when I'm just deeply, deeply ashamed of being queer and hope nobody can, like, hope no one discovers me. um, And the stakes really did feel life or death. To the end, when I'm in San Francisco, and you know, this is supposedly the queerest city in the country, but I still felt a little bit nervous standing on a street corner. Um, in like a really queer outfit um, as it was starting to get dark I was like um, who knows you know um, and this was like Trump presidency I had gone there because somebody told me to go back to my own country so to San Francisco there's always going to be fear it's something that I
0: want. <laughs> you'll always be afraid
1: <laughs> no there's more to it <laughs> there's always going to be fear but Something that I hope people notice is that no matter how afraid I was, I still kept going um, just to see what what would happen next. And almost every time, though there were more things to be afraid of, there was also a lot of great things um, that I got to experience. Things like, um, I mean, gay sex, <laughs> um, things like dancing at a club, right? Things like, even that aren't captured in the book, like there's you know, days where I'll be like smoking a joint with like my trans non-binary friend on the couch watching, you know, and just like that. And we're just chilling and it's like happy and like, it's not joyful or anything like that, but it's like, it's like a great moment. And there's so many great moments like that, that I wouldn't have had if I had stopped, if I had let fear like control my life. And so the lesson that I hope people leave with is that although there is so much to be afraid of, it's and it's completely valid to be afraid. Don't let people tell you not to be afraid. There's so much that you can gain if you just keep going.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you for that. Cause yeah, I don't know. It's Yeah, because it's like everyone is literally afraid. And it's a matter of how people hide it and how honest they are about it, which I think is I don't know, it's a it's a big hurdle in the in the coming out experience. And and I feel like once again I was researching you and I remember you talking about like how each chapter in this is kind of you coming out in a different way there's so much fear involved but then it's like yeah how do we get to a point where the process is inviting people in as well and I feel like this book is a beautiful opportunity for that it's amazing Um,
1: thank you I really appreciate that (laughs) and I know your book is going to do the same
0: (sighs) thank you I guess for any listeners out there, where can people find you and your work? Um, You can find me
1: across social media at Otro Edgar Gomez, O-T-R-O, Edgar Gomez, or online edgargomez.net, because there's there's dot com. Yeah, that's where you can find me. Or you can find me at Hombres in Queens every Thursday night, (laughs) um, sitting in a corner (laughs) drinking a uh, dirty martini. Well, thank you so much for this. This is such a good um, conversation. You had really good questions. I'm still like, okay. Okay. (laughs) I'll see ya. Um, Bye.
0: Have a good day. You
1: too.